Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Today on The Breakdown, she's one of two Korean-American women to win congressional seats in Orange County, flipping them from blue to red. Republican Congresswoman Michelle Steele will be joining us in just a bit. So happy to have her with us. She was born in South Korea, raised in Japan, and Steele says it was her mom's experience running a small clothing store in Los Angeles that got her into politics. We'll talk with her about the path that she took to Washington, D.C. In this, her first month on the job, Marisa, quite a a month indeed. (laughs) Just a few things happening. (laughs) out there. Yeah, we'll talk to her in just a moment. But uh, we had a few things going on here in California this week. Uh, Starting Monday morning, Gavin Newsom lifted his stay-at-home order sort of abruptly, I would have to say. There was a surprise on the part of a lot of legislators, including some Democrats, who expressed their displeasure at not being told about it on Twitter and uh, elsewhere. And you know, I guess part of the part of the criticism too, or the question is, why now? You know, if, if this is based on data, why now? Yeah, and there's been a lot of pushback recently, and not just from Newsom's opponents, but I think from people who consider themselves allies about what is the data we're using? How are we making these decisions? Um, You know, I think it has been a tough consideration for governors and policymakers across the United States. There's so much we've learned as we've time has gone on. There's so much that, you know, we still don't know about this disease and it's changing. But he certainly, I think, I mean, Scott, you and I have covered him since San Francisco. And You know, I think that Newsom has a lot of strengths and one of his weaknesses has always been his ability to deal with the other branches of government in a way where they felt feel equal and like they're in on whatever he's doing. Yeah, exactly. We certainly saw that with the Board of Supervisors. He was feuding with them quite often uh, in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, as, as Lieutenant Governor, he, he was in San Francisco. You know, he wasn't up in Sacramento, didn't have a chance to really make a lot of those relationships. And those are, as we know, those are very important. Uh, and he's going to need them more than ever now uh, because of this potential recall and all those things that he's facing. The problems uh, of EDD. I mean, yeah, and I will say, like, I, I mean, we're hearing a lot, and this might be something we continue to report out, but about schisms within the office, you know, that I think some of what is happening that we're seeing on the outside and his lack of communication has to do with the fact that there's been some internal power struggles there among staff. And um, he brought in recently Jim DeBoo, who had previously been a lobbyist and worked for former Speaker John Perez. I think it's going to be interesting as someone who's been on the legislative side of things to see if he can rebuild some of those relationships. Yeah. And you mentioned the EDD audit this week, which was a disaster. And of course, that didn't just happen on his watch. That's been going on for a 
a long time. There have been problems with that agency, but wow, they're saying billions of dollars, $11 billion in fraudulent unemployment claims, a lot of them involving the scam involving inmates in uh, California prisons. I mean, it's it uh, doesn't look good at all. And then, you know, the vaccine rollout has not been particularly smooth either. No, and I think that those are the things along with the ongoing debate around schools, which... <laughs> I just, as a parent, I got to say, I don't think there's any good answers. Um, you listen to, listen to an hour about this on our show forum this week, and you're like, I can see well, where everyone is coming from in their anger. But the truth is, you know, if this recall qualifies, which is looking increasingly likely, I think the real political question for Newsom is one, how can he turn around this stuff? Can the vaccine stuff get better? Are schools open in the fall? And then obviously also who runs against him? If, you know, that that's always the million dollar yeah, question. Yeah, and, and also the timing of it. Is it going to be, you know, in a time like December or is it going to be consolidated with the primary in March of 2022? I mean, those are, that's an eternity away, as we always say in politics. Right. I mean, uh, several months that it's going to be a totally different landscape. Could be worse, but it'll be different. That's for sure. Um, you know, the EDD thing too, uh, Labor Secretary Julie, Sue uh, was pretty candid this week saying there was no way to sugarcoat what a mess the unemployment insurance system was. And interestingly, she's taken she, was, off for DC. she was tapped by <laughs> Biden to be the number, number two person. It's like, OK, I don't want to say failing up. That's not fair. But, uh, you know, interesting Co a coinciding of, of events for her. Uh, probably not too disappointed to be getting out of Sacramento. No, and I, I was talking to a lawmaker this week, and I do think the EDD stuff really um, is the I don't know if it's the tip of the iceberg, but it does sort of illustrate, I think, ongoing issues. And to your point, Scott, that have you know existed for years in California under both Democratic and Republican governors um, on not just EDD, but our whole IT system and our ability to really manage information technology in a state that is home to Silicon Valley. Um, I think that that is something I had on my list to do as a story investigate in like five years ago and Can probably do should it. have done. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it is it is quite a mess and and something that I think is um is really going to hang over Newsom regardless of what happens with the recall. Yeah, there was some uh you know sort of uh, positive news from Newsom's perspective this week. Uh, he and legislative leaders agreed on a 5-month at least extension uh on uh eviction pro uh, protections for renters so they won't be evicted at least through the end of June. That's expected uh, I think to pass the legislature later today. We should say for transparency, we're talking about noon uh, on Thursday right now. Um, so, you know, that is something that will affect a lot of people. A lot of people care about that. Uh, doesn't really help small businesses, you know, who are really also under the, under the gun with, with the pandemic. Yeah. And the other thing um, that I covered this week, Scott, is uh, another attempt to curb cash bail in California. This comes after voters uh, rejected an earlier attempt by referendum um, that would have eliminated cash bail. Uh, some of the Democrats behind that first effort are coming back, um, trying some, I think, a, a little bit less sort of sweeping changes, but ones nonetheless that if they pass would have a broad impact, um, including by setting bail at $0 for low-level felonies and, and misdemeanors, um, and also saying that if your charges are dropped or you show up for all your court cases, that you actually, the bail company would actually have to give your bond money back with some fees taken out. Um, so I'm expecting that that will turn into another battle royale, especially since Prop 25 I think really, you know, Bale was successful in beating that back in part because they got help from the left who didn't yeah. think it went further. Yeah, enough. they weren't very uh, organized or cohesive uh, in their message. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by one of Orange County's new representatives in Congress, Michelle Steele. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio.
I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos, and we're happy to have with us one of four freshman Republican Congress members from California. Michelle Steele is also one of two Korean-American women from Orange County who voters sent to D.C. Congresswoman Michelle Steele, welcome to Political Breakdown. Good to have you. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's really interesting because young Kim and I raised kids together, so she is one of my best friends. And we got elected at the same time, so we are very lucky to work together. You did, and right in the neighboring districts right down there in Orange County, we want to talk to you about that. But, you know, we always like to begin at the beginning here on our show, and uh, we want to ask you, you were born in Seoul, South Korea, I think in, should I say the year? It's okay, 1955, (laughs) uh, and your family moved to Japan where you grew up. But what brought your family to, uh, to Japan? Oh, my father was a diplomat. So, you know what, that's the only post he had. So I graduated my junior high and high high school in Japan with one year of college. Then, you know, um, my major was English and I started pronouncing that, you know, McDonald is like McDonaldo and my dad's (laughs) major was English. He said, I think you better go to America, learn how to speak English. So that's the way he sent me here and then he passed away. So my mom joined me after that with two uh, my younger sisters. What was it like before coming here being in Japan? I know that, um, you know, Japanese culture can be sort of insular. You guys were from a different country. There's a lot of history, not all of it great between Korea and Japan. Was that something that you felt as a kid? Well, there's a, a rough history between Korea and Japan. But you know what? Actually, my, since my father was a diplomat, I ch- was treated really nicely. And, you know, um, I really enjoyed my life there. And I really liked it. And, you know, within six months period, I, you know, uh, become speaking, became speaking perfect Japanese, unless I told them that my name, they didn't know I was Japanese or Korean. But you know what? English is really different. I think I'm going (laughs) to have forever. But you know what? I came here later, too. But I didn't use Japanese for last how many years now? Almost, what, 36 years. So, oh, my God, Scott, I'm telling you. 
age at this time. <laughs> so you know what? Um, my Japanese is a little rusty, but you know what? When I go back, I need a couple of days to you know come back to normal, you know, like a Japanese speaking. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe you, you and your family came to California. Your, was it your dad passed away, I believe? Right. And you came to California and Los Angeles. Why, why California? Why L.A.? Oh, because my mom uh, had a friend here that, you know, uh, I came here to go to college. So I went to Pepperdine undergrad and USC for uh, graduate school. And my mom wanted to make sure that somebody, if something happened to her first daughter, that, you know, what, somebody can take care of her. So her friend one of the best friend was here so asked her that if something happened or can you help her to go to college applying it so you know what i got a lot of help from my mom's uh you know friend that's the reason that she sent me here i mean what was it like when you first arrived uh, such different countries from both places you've lived before um like what were your impressions as a young woman moving to los angeles and and starting at pepperdine i thought that I speak good English. And you know, when I came here, whatever I say, they couldn't understand what I was talking about. (laughs) And then, you know, actually I went through City College too. So the first one was Palomar City College in San Diego, Marissa. So yeah, I went there one semester and then, you know what, I took one psychology class and I didn't know that there was like an audio test only. But you know what, I studied and then go to the audio test and I couldn't understand what questions were. So I did really bad for the first test. So I went to the professor and I said, you know what, I can read and write, but I cannot speak and I cannot really listen. So he gave me the paper test and I aced it. But you know what, it was very, very tough and try to communicate was the toughest one. I'm wondering how uh, being in Southern California, I mean, you came at a pretty tumultuous time, you know, it was right after the Vietnam War, was Watergate was happening, and you were in Korea and, of course, Japan during the Cold War. Um, and how, did, how do you think all of that, that political kind of chaos, tumult, uh, and division, you know, how did it affect the way you looked at the world? You know what? I was not really interested in politics in my life. So I really didn't really care or I never really read at that time until I met my husband and I was dating him and he was in politics since he was 14 and our best man was White House a speechwriter at that time so you know what I started learning that oh American politics is like this at that time but you know what before that I was concentrating studying and tried to graduate college with my English and working at the, you know, working full time at my mom's store. And, you know, I did everything I can because I came here three years before my family came. Right. So I had to lead the whole family. Um, it was very, very tough. Do you, you mentioned your husband, um, who, of course, used to run the California Republican Party, is, is, is active on the Republican National Committee. I mean, how much do you think his politics influenced where you've gone? Do you think you would have been uh, such a strident Republican if you hadn't met Sean Steele and married him? You know what? Um, maybe, um, you know, I became like average American citizens. And, you know, they all believe that let's not fight for partisan fights. Let's do the work done. I mean, that's my mindset is. But you know what? He, All of friends that, you know, we were together, I was never really interested in politics, even I was dating him. 
And when they used to get together, I used to read Japanese in the Re- Reader's Digest. Do you remember those books in Japanese in the corner? Because after you talk about the weather and I had nothing to talk about after that. So, you know what I used to read and I really didn't care much. The, you know, I, my eye opening was on uh, the, you know, uh, the LA riot. And LA riot really hits me because Korean American community was actually victimized uh, by the thugs. But at the same time, media were double victimized because media was showing only that they tried to protect their assets, buildings. But you know what? They showed like guns and these people bring out their like greedy. And second generations came out at that time. And second generations were talking about that. Oh, Koreans were at the wrong place and wrong time. I said, oh, my God, they are not really relaying the message. And first and second generations, they don't have any a commun- communication between them. So I said, you know what? I can be a bridge. I speak perfect Korean and I can speak English. I can go out there and I can be a bridge be- you know, between mainstream and Korean American community and let them know, you know what? They are trying to whatever they can because my- including my mom, first generations, they work more than 18 hours, 16 to 18 hours a day. And you know what? They try to protect their stuff and their building, their stores. So, you know, that's the... That's time that I my eyes really opened. I'm Scott Schaefer, and I'm here with Marisa Lagos. Uh, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED, and we're talking today with Congresswoman Michelle Steele. She defeated Democrat Harley Ruda to win back an Orange County congressional seat for Republicans. I want to ask you about your mom, because um, from what I've read, it seems like you really, in addition to what you just described with the uh, you know, the, the Rodney King riots that you uh, got involved in politics, partly because of your mom's experience with her clothing store, I think, in Los Angeles. Tell, tell us what happened and how that light went off in your head uh, to get involved. So uh, my mother opened up the clothing shop. I told you about that, you know, my mom's best friend. Actually, she owned the men's clothing shop. I mean, the, uh, the wholesale. So they helped us to open men's clothing shop in downtown Los Angeles on Los Angeles Street, actually. So she opened it. We had to work seven days a week. I had to go to full-time school, seven o'clock class. And then I you know, worked all day. And then I went back out for night class. And sometimes when you try to do homework and work, that you know what? You never really sleep. And I used to take a little nap, like it inside of the box that they bring all these clothes in and you take all those plastic covers out. I used to kind of like, you know, squat down and lay down a little bit. And then I took nap a little bit and I never really had lunch, you know, at once you had one sandwich and, you know, customers coming in and I used to go out and greet them. I was a salesperson and I was a buyer and I did everything at the store. So it was a seven days working and my mom said, you know what, why don't we move on to five working days? It's a building sandwich shop. My mom was a teacher in her life in Korea and Japan. So she never really had these retail stores until she came here. And we all helped me and my two younger sisters. And she opened up the sandwich shop means that the clothing shop closed down And when you are ready to close down, inventory goes down. So you pay the sales tax accordingly. But border equalization, a few months later after we closed down, they hit my mom with additional taxes that you used to pay 
this much tax, but you didn't pay, so you cheated. So you owe us that taxes that she didn't owe, plus the interest and penalties. So she paid those taxes. When you don't speak English, first generation, you got scared when you get a letter from the tax agency. So she paid the taxes she didn't owe, plus interest and penalty. So when that seed opened up, I told my husband that I think I can help small businesses. My husband's jaw dropped. He said, no, you don't want to do that. You have an accent. You don't like speaking in front of people. And you're a very shy person. And you don't want to do that. I said, okay, do I have to raise money or do I have to speak? And he said, well, you know what? Nobody knows this position well. So maybe you don't have to raise money and you don't have to speak. And I said, perfect. I'm funny. <laughs> That's what happened. And well, you're <laughs> getting into that's really funny. And I know you've talked about this and we talked, we had uh, your consultant Samo on the show not long ago. Um, it, it seems like for you, I mean, the language issue really, it, it weighs heavily on you, which I, I mean, you're, you're making, you're very articulate. You're making yourself very clear, Congresswoman. I'm curious though. I mean, um, you know, now you are elected to Congress. You are one of 435 members. Um, clearly, you have been you've been an outspoken member on the Orange County Board of Supervisors, which you served on after the Board of Equalization. Um, before we get into some of the kind of what's happening now, I'm curious. Like we mentioned, you and Young Kim both being elected. Um, and I feel like, you know, Democrats talk a lot about the importance of, well, what Republicans would call identity politics, but I think what they would see as representation, right? The idea, um, I interviewed a little girl last week who was so excited to see herself in Kamala Harris, for example. Can you talk about being, you know, be, as a Republican, how you see the importance of your election, Young Kim's election, other Korean Americans, and what that means? Uh, you know, it, I don't know that it's a party issue that representation, you know, seeing yourself in our representatives. I don't think it's a party issue. I just want to work for the people. So you know what, when we, you were talking about Governor Newsom started opening up, you know, without any science backing up. I mean, it's really interesting just as suddenly it opened up. When I was chair last year in Orange County, that we actually put the business ad hoc committee and put the business ad hoc and we put the guidelines together and we opened up. Governor actually, uh, uh, governor actually attacked us and then you know what decided to close down only orange county beaches at that time so what i want to do is not the partisan but i really want to work for the people what they really need like right now that you know what vaccination has to be really distributed right and fast california is one of the bottom right now so that has to be done you know what pandemic has to be really stopped and you know what we really have to do something all of these vaccinations, we really have to work hard, make sure that, you know, anybody wants to have vaccination, they should get it, not like age limited or, you know, certain community limited. And it's supposed not to do that. And businesses have to open up because they've been closed down for the last 10 months. Last September, I heard 23% of the businesses are not coming back. So I want to work for the people and I want people to have more money inside of their pocket, not government's pocket. So that's why I ran and I don't think it's more of the party issue, but I just want to work 
with people and work for the people. Let me ask you, when you were on the board of supervisors, initially at least, you were very outspoken against the mask mandate that the county uh, had put in place. Uh, and the health director, Dr. Quirk, I think her name was, faced a lot of backlash. Uh, she ultimately resigned. There were death threats. I think she had uh, uh, she had uh, protection from the uh, sheriff's deputies and so on. And I'm just wondering, how do you how do you think about you know your words? Any, I mean, any you know, as a public official, how words can really have an effect on people uh, in ways that you may not have intended in terms of like the way, say, what happened on January 6th, or you know, more 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 uh, in your vicinity, what happened with the health director. You know what? Actually, we didn't know anything about coronavirus at that time. So we tried to do whatever we can, the best the you know, but at the same time that, you know what, they were coming down to that all the mask has been mandated. And our sheriff said, you know what, I'm not the, you know, uh, mask police and I'm not going to um, enforce anything. I said, there's no enforcement. Why we have to make mandate, you know, the mask, you know, mask wearing. And I told the people that, you know, Orange County is, the residents are much smarter. When they need their, you know, masks, they're going to wear masks. And when they are sick, they're going to stay away. So let people have the choice. I was never against the mask itself. I said, mandate. The government telling you what to do was the wrong thing. That's what I said. I mean, how is that different than a seatbelt law or a helmet law or any of the other things? Nudity laws, right? We have to put on pants when we go outside. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what? If you just keep going like that, then you know what? We have we have to draw the line something. For you, uh, when you are not wearing seatbelt, please come and give you a ticket. Mask wearing that our sheriff's department said we are not enforcing any of those mandates that you know you have to wear masks. That's the difference here. Yeah. Do you, does it does it bother you at all that the whole idea of masks and vaccines now to a certain extent have become so political, you know, and when really it, I mean, it shouldn't be, I suppose, because it's a health issue. Uh, but, you know, there are other health issues that are also political. But, you know, what are your thoughts about that? How is there a way that elected officials and others can sort of take the politics out of it a little bit? Especially for the uh, COVID-19, I think we should get out of politics and wish to really deliver. That's what, you know, for, for vaccinations, the same thing too. We really have to work on it so everybody can get those vac- you know, vaccines. And at the same time, they, we really have to make sure that we're gonna deliver something because I heard that some of the vaccines were actually thrown away because they didn't keep it right. That's not really acceptable. So we really have to work on it. It has nothing to do with politics, but it has everything to do with Californians and their businesses. So I'm curious then, I mean, you've talked about wanting to deliver for your constituents. Orange County is now a very purple place. I mean, where do you see opportunities to work with Democrats in Congress? Well, you know, uh, Trump administration did a great job. They're lowering income taxes and lowering corporate taxes. But they put that uh, you uh, there's a cap on state taxes, especially blue states like California. We are paying up to 13.3% income taxes. And they were talking about right now they're going to raise to 16.8%. 
I mean, you know, this is very, very high state income taxes. I think Trump administration tried to hurt some of the blue states was the reason that, you know what, they have a cap on $10,000 cap that you can deduct from the federal income tax report. I think we can repeal that. I can work with other Democrats that, you know what, they feel the same way. It doesn't hurt the state, but it really hurt the, you know, um, constituents. So we really have to stop that. I think we can work together for repeal the state and local taxes. One of the first votes you had to cast uh, is was a historic one. It was about impeachment and you decided to vote no. What was your how, how did you assess that? How did, how was your, what was your thinking on that? Was it a tough decision or an easy one? It was a it, it was <laughs> I don't know. It's tough or easy because you know what I on January 6th was really interesting day and I didn't know what I had to go through. First day of work in the Capitol that I got vaccination because they said you meet so many people so you have to do the back, you know, vaccine. So I got vaccination nine o'clock in the morning. And then I got a call from my husband from California. He said, oh my God, I tested positive for COVID. So you really have to go out and, you know, do the test done. And 11 o'clock I found out that I was positive on COVID-19. Then, because the riot doctor said, I have to get out of the Capitol, but I couldn't do that because we got stuck and we were locked down in our office for more than 10 hours there. So I was sitting there, but you know what? All these votes were very, very tough and I couldn't go to the floor. For the impeachment issue, it's present, it's done. And present is no longer present. So why we really have to go after him without any hearings, without anything, you just voted. And I said, you know what? It's not really right things to do because people want us to go back to work, not partisan work here. Just let them, let him step down and let him go back to the, you know, not average citizen anymore since, you know, you uh, were president. But we really have to respect that. That's why I think it was easy both for me that against the impeachment. And you've recovered from COVID, it seems like. Oh, my God, completely. I was very lucky case, me and my husband. And for two weeks, we were quarantined. But I was on the no flight list. So it was very tough to coming back from D.C. after that. But it's another (laughs) story. (laughs) Well, we're glad you're safe, Uh, Congresswoman Michelle Steele. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me today. All right. That does it for Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Tobin, Lindsay, Vinny Tong, Erica Aguilar, and Jonathan Blakely. I'm Marisa Lagos. You can follow me on Twitter at MLagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe. love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.